Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Swineweb, Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm Matthew Rota, your host, and joining us today is Natalia Heisterkamp with Crystal Spring. How are you doing today, Natalia? Hey, Matthew, doing fine. How are you? I'm great. Had a really good Thanksgiving. I am annoyed with how cold it is, but we did the turkey trot and it was the first time we ever did that. So it's like the 5K run thing. And that was interesting. Um, Fortunately, it hadn't snowed yet, but um, jealous of people in warmer places. Yeah, we were able to run away. We were working in Colombia. So um, we kind of skipped Thanksgiving because it's not a thing there, but at least we skipped winter. (laughs) Abraham, uh, my co-founder, he was in Columbia. Yeah, I saw him Thanksgiving. there. Yep. What you saw, he was there, or you ran into him? No, no. Was he was he in the event? I don't know if he was. No, in... no. He was actually just on one of the islands off of. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. Well, that's it's funny, and I, I I never put anything past Abe when he travels anymore because he was in Spain for the trade show last year, and while in Barcelona, he ran into Tom Stein on the sidewalk and Tom wasn't even there for the event. So at this point he runs into random people across the country and right, right. Never know. But could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then also um, any recent big updates? Sure. I'm Natalia Heisterkamp, also known in Latin America only by Natalia Remy, just because the Remy is a little easier than the Heisterkamp down there. I'm a business administrator by formation and I graduated uh, and then did a little bit of uh, master's in project management and managing um, small and family businesses. Brazilian, right? Born and raised in Brazil. And the interesting stuff is that before 2014, I knew nothing about pigs other than bacon was really good. And that came about when I was... um, contacted by Crystal Spring back in 2014 because they were looking into starting a business in Brazil. And my background um, was always manufacturing. So I was grown and raised by my dad at at a factory floor, you know, since the very, very early age, I, uh, you know, paddled into mechanical presses and (laughs) helped people weld stuff and, and, uh, at, a, at an early age, my dad put me through, you know, every department because I need to know how human resources was and quality and production planning. Then I went and worked with a German company. And, and that was a lot of learning, right? Because you want to learn how to plan and he, how to be organized and on time with everything. You have, you know, German bosses. So that probably shaped me a little bit into, into being more of that 
you know, European, North American, and not not much Latina on, on a lot of the things I, I do and, and how I work. And then work with an oil company, had um, lived a little bit in Guatemala, had some experiences with uh, customer relation and had to manage a call center and this big project, just moving our whole customer service from, from Guatemala down to Brazil. So that was also also a lot of fun. So really diverse background until until in 2014, Crystal Spring reached out to me and we started manufacturing in Brazil. And I started going to Barnes because I'm I'm really hands-on and I'm like that visual learner. Uh, so I remember, you know, being with Jonathan in 2014 at, at our very first trade show that he said, hey, come here, come see what we do, the products we do. And, and I looked at that feeder and I kind of understood everything about it. I mean, it was, you know, a piece of metal, welded, banded, all good. But I was like, take me to a barn because I want to see how, you know, how the pigs interact with this equipment. And that's how it all started. And I started going to barns right there. Fell what was that like, the first barn you went to? It was different. It was yeah, a lot of things that I didn't really imagine. And I think, you know, that helped me a lot with um, the whole marketing and communication standpoint where we work today. Because really, if you take that to the consumer, right, a lot of people just don't relate with what we do. They don't relate with animal husbandry, with what we do uh, in farming and, and all that. So, um it, it brought a lot of things into perspective and it caught, of course it was super important for me to understand messaging and how to talk to customers and what was the value add that we were really bringing for them and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it, it's really important to, to go to the field and, and see all that. Right. And I, I tell people a lot about that. Did you get scared of the first sows you were around or not? Were you just like, all right, this I'm good. I'm no, good. no, I was actually like so curious and and you know so eager for for learning um, that that it was it was pretty good and and I had great mentors, you know, Jonathan and then Todd, who actually then later on became my husband, but they kind of taught me all I know about pigs, you know, and 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 the customers and the producers itself because they are so. They're always so into exchanging ideas when you're in the barn and and you're open for that, you know, that that you can just, you know, I remember just sitting at the barns for like 30, 45 minutes and just exchanging ideas. And, and you learn, you learn a lot from that. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, so that's kind of my my background. Interesting. And, and then it's been eight years uh, doing a lot of things in Brazil and then moved to the U.S. in 2018, uh, kept kept managing our operations in Brazil, but also took over more of our global strategy, marketing, um, getting a little bit more involved with Europe and Asia for Crystal Spring and all that. So it has been it has been a fun journey. I am actually as far as updates and news, it's going to be like my last stretch uh, with Crystal Spring. Uh, as as their director of global strategy, I'm I'm gonna be going into some new projects uh, and and leaving Crystal Spring, but it has been an amazing eight years with a lot of learning um, and still a lot to do in Brazil. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, considering everything you've done with Crystal Spring, when you say you've got some new projects, I'm excited to see what those are because I I can't imagine a better person to tackle some of those. In well, I all I. 
got very passionate about this industry, made a lot of friends, a lot of connections. So I am not planning on leaving any of you guys. You guys are going to keep seeing my face around for certain. (laughs) So over the past years, you took that business, which was already global, but to the next level by actually making it a global brand. Can you talk about how you did that? And what is the formula for doing that? Yeah, I mean, Crystal Spring has been in in the market for 40 years. And if you imagine, I mean, they have very, very good and and faithful customers all over the world for over 30 years. You know, there's customers in Asia that have been using products, Crystal Spring products for a long time in Chile and Argentina. Um, You know, if you look really because of the realities in Brazil, that was really the one market that it took them more time to get get into but they they were all over um and and always very recognized and liked by by the customers but we felt that there was a whole market that still didn't know us even though we were really known by some um there was a whole market out there that really didn't know us and so what we did is we used social media, right, which is the new thing. And and you kind of fight social media for a long time until you really see that there's no way and you have to you have to use it um, to, to help you. Um, and so by doing that and by rebranding, and when I say rebranding is really like working on your image on how you how you message things and all that. So we did a, a big rebranding worked on all our materials on how we communicate and started throwing that to the market in in the past um, three years really really strongly um you know COVID gave us a lot of time to work on that it, it was like yeah. a project already but you know you take baby steps but because you're always so busy and then when we all saw ourselves at home and not being able to travel and there was so much time that that's what we tagged. So it was really good period for us to just get all the ideas we had in our hands and in paper and just put put it together. But I, I think the formula for branding, for marketing, and for like really taking your brand into a global, there's a few things. First of all, you got to be very consistent in, in your messaging. I think that's one of the pillars, you know, you got to be effective in your communication, um, but you have to be consistent. You have to have, you know, the image, the face and kind of bring people into your world and, and make that message really interesting and exciting and passionate for them. And I think last, which really, really, really helped us to be global was to communicate in multiple languages, mm. not through translators, you know, not through Google translators, not to uh, human translators in trade shows or anything like that, but by having a team that could speak multiple languages and really communicate in pig industry language with people on one-on-one. So that was different and and that really helped us. Yeah, I can I can only imagine when Abraham and I started this business and Abraham being from Mexico and me from Iowa, I never could have imagined how impactful just being able to travel a good portion of the world and speak passionately about what we do in multiple languages that I can't imagine what it'd be like if I tried to do that without 
Abe as a partner and or a business trying to do that without multiple team members that can speak different languages. Yeah, and, and it's so many little things because, you know, not only that, but then you also understand their culture a little better, right? So, like, yeah. we here in North America, and I say we because, like, I'm so used to our, our corporate culture already that we go, okay, good morning, this is what I need, this is what we're going to do. You know, you start a call or you start a message and and you already tell, you know, what you need, when it needs to be done and all that. Now, start going to other countries, you know, you go to Mexico or you go to Guatemala or Colombia. And first, you got to do conversation, you know, you just got to ask how people how people are doing today and, and how's everything. And then after a little bit, you're going to say, you know. You start the conversation on the on the hot topic and whatever you went to do and and I I think that just creates connection right it it makes people more comfortable with talking to you and interacting with you so well I love that about this industry it is it is small enough yet large enough that if you are in some kind of a leadership role uh, or a sales role to an extent uh, you can travel the world in the swine industry and learn so many cultures and connect with so many people. And I learn by doing. And so travel to me is as much of an education as anything. And I have a really good friend. I was just interviewing Dr. Daniel Linares uh, from Iowa State, yeah. not the Brazilian, yeah. right? Yep. And Great we were guy. talking about uh, picanha and pavaje queso and melorezon, <laughs> like all these things I want to go do. And never growing up was travel normal. I was Iowa, Michigan, Iowa, Michigan, and because that's where family was. So uh, I just love that aspect. And from my perspective, I can get elements of culture. But if I'm not from there, or if I don't identify with that culture fluently in that language, it's so hard to connect in an authentic way. Yeah, yeah. We were in Guatemala a couple of weeks ago, and it was me and Jose Luis, which is our our business development guy that that lives in Mexico. And we were there. And, you know, we just went for a walk to be able to get some dinner. And traffic is crazy, right? Like in any big city, and and it's, it's crazy. And there's a lot of motorbikes and people walk. You know, it's something that you don't see here in the Midwest, right? We just don't walk, we drive everywhere. But hey, you know, in big cities, we walk and we walk a lot. And I was there and then crossing the streets, non-pedestrian crosswalk and everything. And we got to the other side alive, right? And Jose Luis said, you really can get the Brazilian out of you, right? I said, didn't I just do this well, you know? So it was pretty it was pretty funny that he said that because it's it's true, right? You just, oh yeah, I'm home, you know? I, I know how to deal with all this. So it, that, that was pretty fun, so. So yeah, consistency of your messaging and branding is huge. How did you get to that consistency? Was it, was it a journey? Was it something where you just had to make it a priority? What was that like? I mean, not only we made it a priority, but it was planned, you know, okay. and I think planning and marketing is is really important. So when we started thinking about how we're going to grow that, we put a plan together that had a build up strategy, you know, so you you start really from the scratch, telling your story, telling who you are as a company, 
um, what you do, what your what your values, core values are, and all that. And then you start extrapolating that to your product line, to your team, to your local or global approach. And, and so once you start building that strategy, then then the messaging and the marketing actions that come with that, right? They're they're just uh they're just obvious, right? Because because you plan the story, you kind of created a timeline and a buildup of the messaging and then how and when and you're going to be communicating and then every action that you do in social media, in writing an article, in investing in a research or something like that has a meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Has it has a meaning and an end goal. So um, consistency just comes with that, right? Because then you're following your ma- your master plan. I mean, and, and you have an end goal, right? You know where you want to arrive with all that. You want, you know who you want to reach public um, and how you want to reach that public. So I think that was, that was mainly how, how we built this thing and, and, you know, made it pretty, pretty successful because, um, we were not only able to open a lot of markets, but get to a lot of people. And even like it's interesting going to trade shows and and congresses and events over the past two years, how you know I have people come to me, hey, I know you from social media. Can I take a picture with you? Yes, you know, you have, <laughs> hey, I I saw a video from you guys, you know, can you show me that really cool? A thing that you put on the video and that solution. And so marketing is sometimes hard to measure, right? Yes. When you go to places and you see that kind of feedback, that's your measure right there. You know you're having success and you know you're reaching out the right public. So that's that's how I look at this industry. And I'm curious if it's different internationally or not, but or if you disagree with my domestic thoughts, is the marketing is positioning salespeople or individuals in person to have a more successful um, outcome for both the company and the customer. Um, I don't feel like people see marketing in the swine industry and say, oh, I'm going to go and buy this. It's it's more educational and preparatory than it, it is anything, in my opinion. How do you see that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think seven years ago when we did marketing that that was the goal like before i came with them it was like oh let's put an ad so we can book a sale it's not going to work you know and then and then you blame the ad because you didn't book a sale or let's go to a trade show and nobody makes sales on trade shows anymore this yeah. industry is all about networking faces and getting touches so that the doors are always open for you. And so when you have something interesting to go tell um, the people in the industry, your current customers, your potential customers, the doors are always going to be open for you because you create value. You bring education, you bring information. And, and it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Latin America, Brazil, and, and even a little bit Europe, they're, they're even a little ahead of US and Canada and all that. Uh, they're way more open. They're using social media way more than we are um, and, and really seeking for 
education in those channels. And that gives us great power. But, you know, how they say, no, with great power comes great responsibility. And (laughs) I think this is where this industry is going to have to work a lot together to be very careful with the content that we are uploading to social media and especially how we are uploading um, yeah. content in social media with all those takes on sustainability, animal welfare, that that we communicators are going to have to deal more and more with that. And that brings a lot of responsibility to us. So we have to also be careful as those channels are being used more and more to, you know, how we how we communicate to people on them. So yeah, because the value proposition you might be marketing towards might have a very different perceived outcome from a consumer. And to your uh, consistency point, uh, for producers listening and they're thinking about how does the industry improve domestic consumption, consistency in our messaging as an industry is important. But I wonder if since a lot of people who work on some of that domestic consumption stuff come from the swine industry where you're buying patterns and behaviors and how you market and, and how you interact and how you network is so different than consumer sides of things. Are we, are we maybe not diverse enough in our backgrounds and trying to access the consumer when it comes to pork sales? I don't know. I've been thinking about that lately, but curious. Yeah, I, I think we still, we still have a lot of room to think outside of the box on that. I have seen some interesting actions around the world for increasing um, consumption where more and more people on the industry that are good influencers and good communicators are helping put together programs where we go to doctors, where we go to chefs, where we go to nutritionists, where we go to our kids' schools and we start and we start sending the message. I mean, there is there is so much. I was in Brazil and the director of, of JBS there told a story in one of his last lectures on how he went to, to his doctor's uh, appointment. And the doctor said one of the, one of the things the doctor said was, you know, you gotta you gotta eat less pork not knowing who he was and he oh, said no. that went south really fast because <laughs> the, the you know i just started lecturing the doctor on you know how great of a protein it is the benefits and all that and so so yes there is so much that that needs to be done and then there is the communication i mean i've see, i see so many so many articles um in the industry and i i've got a pretty picky eye for that stuff Oh, eat pork. Pork is a great meat. And then the meat on the picture is like white and not fun and not juicy. It's it's just a picture of a pork chop on a plate. Come on, you know. (laughs) Uncooked. Uncooked. We right, we're not delivering the message to the end consumer. We there's there's no way we are we're getting the the tummy, (laughs) the eye and the tummy of that of that person that's going to go to a restaurant that or that's going to buy an uncooked loin and bring it home to try to make it really good. We're not talking to them. We're not. And and we're probably even bringing a negative connotation just on the imaging because you know, consumers are visual. And and yeah. we need to we need to remember that. We talk a lot, we speech a lot, but when we're delivering a message, we need to we need to be very effective on how that looks. Yeah, they need to see this in a video and immediately go, I need to save this because I need to figure out how I make this. Yes, 
Yes, I think I think we've got as good of a channel as we've ever had with Instagram and social media too, because when you start scrolling and if, if you get into the food part of the algorithm, and I hate it because sometimes my algorithm gets stuck on something that is just like, all right, I've had enough of this. <laughs> um, but like food, you scroll and it's just like people showing you how to make these amazing meals. And I save them and I send them to my wife and I'm like, we should try to make this. Um, we need to create that right. level of enthusiasm from consumers because I don't know half of the stuff that I'm looking at, especially when it's Indian cuisine or some of this other stuff, but I know I want to make it. Yeah, I think there is a lot of things that that we we need to do um, for that. And then and then the other side of of that is this whole take on, you know, we don't do things right. We don't do things sustainably. We don't do things for animal welfare. And man, we do a lot yes. and, and we do it well. And we don't know how to communicate and sell that to the consumer, to that person that like me in 2014 had never been in a pig barn before and had no idea how, how things were done, you know, and it's not, it's not making a video on your daily chores on the barn uh, and posting it that's going to show that because they are going to find a problem in that video. Yes. They are going to find a, you know, a stall right there and they're going to say that you're keeping the sows in the stall. They are going to find a dirtiness right there and they're going to say that, you know, the pig is in a dirty environment or or something like that. So this day I was even discussing um, with with some friends this day, you know, how do we do that? And and maybe we need to do more of like cartoonish, you know, when even when we create materials to train the industry ourselves um, instead of making it videos or something like that. Because, you know, if you do, if you do animation or, or cartoon, it's more of a childhood thing. And then, you know, you're not, you're not painting all the manure on that, yeah. on that. You, you know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. it seems like it's little things, but it's, it's true. And, and for us that create content and are trying to communicate and, and work with marketing, it's sometimes exhausting, but, but it's, it's that, you know, what's the color of that meat in that picture? And how is that picture that we're posting? Is everything correct? Does this pig look healthy? Is the surrounding are okay? Okay, so I can post that picture. It is. It's, but, it's, it's a lot of input. And uh, I think a challenging dilemma that swine has and that a cartoon could definitely help with is either it's a cute pig and, oh, I don't want to eat it, or it's covered in shit and it looks gross. Yep. <laughs> so like what is the middle ground of imaging that conveys it's not too cute to eat but it's also not too uh covered in poop that it uh is off-putting uh that's a unique problem that that pigs have and uh from a visual standpoint right right and also you know working more on messaging like you know we're just families working our butts off to feed the world. That's such a pretty message. Yes. You know, and, and it's it's correct, it's, it's nice, it's natural, and we don't use it. We don't use much. We I was all, right? I mean. Yeah, I was at the University of Iowa meeting with students, and I use this example, and I've used it with a lot of students that I've met with since. But a lot of time, they don't know anything about ag. And they think big ag. 
And so one of the things I do is I communicate the structure of the industry. And I say some of the goals within the industry are to produce a profitable product in a sustainable way because they go hand in hand. And if the pig isn't taken care of, then they're not going to be profitable and it's not sustainable. So we need to focus on all three. They all go together. And I said that a lot of the pork you buy comes from both Big Ag and Family Farms. A company like JBS or Smithfield or Tyson might birth the piglet, but it might go to some family farm to raise and feed the pig. And then when it's big enough to eat, they send it back to that company to process it. And I explained that it's not necessarily as scalable uh, in regards to land ownership and all the other things if family farms and big ag don't work together, but more so if the family farm tries to produce all of that themselves, we're going to waste 30% of the carcass. And they look at you and they say, well, why, why would it be wasted? Like, because we don't eat the ears, the snouts, the feet. You got to find, heck, I was on a podcast where we talked about using plasma from the blood just to do, right? And, And when they start to see that the family farm, big ag relationship is a win-win between i gotta be careful when i say win-win because it's not always a win-win well, but it can be a win-win that's how we are and that that's how we are as sustainable as that animal can be they're super that animal they're super super and we just super don't convey that message we just yeah yeah and it's not necessarily yeah and it's not economical win-win like you said and it's not necessarily economical only but 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 it's about explaining that everything is a supply chain Yes. And 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 that supply chain has, you know, big players and small players. And that supply chain, you know, supports a lot of families, supports a lot of communities. Um and, and it's it's built with purpose. Yeah. It's built with reason. And that everyone yeah. cares and a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, you get big egg to your point being sustainable and profitable come along. So now we're working with biogas, we're working with renewable energy, we're trying to find ways to save water and Big Ag has the money and is investing a lot into technology and putting all that that value add back. And the small families don't have that much economical power to do those things, but they care by taking care of every pig because to your point, the more pigs they sell, they're able to throughput, you know, it's income for their family and that therefore is sustainable for them. And they so, inherit that innovation from big ag as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because in, in most of the in most of the integration systems today, all that that's being generated, um, for example, power being generated by either solar farms or biogas, it's it's going back into their system, right? By powering their integrate their their contract grower farms or you know um, supporting their fleet with with how biogas can can eventually support just transportation of feed and and pigs and 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 things like that. So, but we don't talk about that, right? No. So you know I recently did an article that I posted on LinkedIn where I say, hey, you know, if for every three articles we write about peers and and the new vaccine and we would write one about 
who we are and how we do things right for this industry, we would start putting the message out there, but we just don't take the time to do that. We really don't. Um, and we need to find our ways as an industry to do it. And, you know, that, that goes kind of globally because we're all, uh, you know, like Todd always says, we're, we're different, but by the end of the day, we're all pig farmers and, and yep. everyone has the same goal. You know, you might have a little environment difference here. You know, you might deal with different government issues in one country to the other. But by the end of the day, we all have the same goal. Yeah, right? And the poor sport can't do it by themselves. And, no. and I think that uh, there's a lot of these ideas and ultimately getting things across the finish line and getting into certain environments. The pork board's there to help. but yeah, it's a collective effort, and uh, there's not a lot of industries where people produce something and are hands-off in the way it's marketed or sold. Yep, yep, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So where do you see the global market going over the next couple of years? Uh, you've you've been in this industry, you've been global in this industry. Where do you see it going? To your point, there's going to be more of more and more of that conscience in, in the industry where you got to find markets to be able to to sell what domestic consumption does, right? So you you have a variety of situations. You have you know countries in Latin America, South America that are expanding big time, working on their internal consumption. Um, they don't necessarily have yet yet, and I say yet because we're always growing power to be exporting, but they're exploring. I mean, they have they they're still importers, and so they know they have a a big um, opportunity to just keep growing their internal production to to provide to their own markets. And then you've got you've got all the big players um and and they're going to they're going to keep keep doing what they're doing, uh, you know, and ups and downs. We know this industry is is made of that. There's there's nothing nothing really we can do about that, but uh US and Canada probably still going to have a hard year next year, right? Mm -hmm. Um yep. but it, it will come back. It has always um brazil you know is is doing is doing great i mean there's there's always the economical government portion that that affects that market there but they're they're gonna keep growing for certain um spain fighting it through its way right and trying to keep to keep it going in europe where everyone else is kind of struggling and and decreasing and the asian markets are gonna are gonna keep keep growing they gotta they gotta feed the world right and and um Start looking into Africa, you know, because there's going to be a market growing there. I mean, there is there is uh, consumption, there is need, um, there is land, and they're going to need a lot of help and support from us that know more production, that can educate, that know technologies, and that can start bringing bringing those resources to them. Yeah, I was actually so every episode now I I just Google uh, pig news to figure out if there's something fun. And usually it's like a runaway pig or some random thing. Uh, this lady in Indonesia went to jail because she ate pork rinds. Like, so always something off the wall. But I oh. typed in pig news Brazil and it said Brazil is the lowest in regards to production cost of 17 other major pork producing countries. That's I found right. that very interesting. That's right. You know, we've been talking a lot, <laughs> you know, Todd and I being married and working in the same industry, there's like this kind of conversation over dinner, right? <laughs> but <laughs> last time we came back from Brazil, we were saying about feed conversion in Brazil is king. King. I mean, 
there is and and they learn how to do it they really have done a good job in working their their system you know feed is is widely available in brazil so you could argue that just like every once in a while we do here in the us we kind of don't look at that because you know yeah. it's so easy to get it. but no no right because 70 60, 70% of your cost in Brazil, sometimes 80% of your cost is there. And so because labor's so cheap. Labor's cheap. Insulation. I mean, we we're we're not, I mean, it's not that we don't technify like here in the US, but you know, we don't have to, we don't have winters, we don't have severe yeah. winters, and 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 you know, so installation is is a little cheaper. And and then feed cost is low but if you also work on you know making certain that you're not wasting any of that so so it's a very very feed conversion market and all now currently all their integration system is paid upon that so you you don't pay per head in brazil you pay you know you have like a, a formula between feed conversion average daily gain and mortality and the contract grower gets paid over those metrics. Huh. So uh, really a different way of, of working KPIs to kind of make everyone responsible, right? For the output. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's going to be new with Crystal Spring? Anything new on the horizon for them or problems that they're going to try to be solving for, uh, for, for producers and industry needs? Yeah, I think more and more that, that take, you know, we, we have a great product to allow for a good feed conversion and to allow for the reduction of wastages, not only on the feed side, but on the water side. Um, and then the whole adaptive flow line that's been on the market for two to three years now, um, you know, pushing that more and more as this sustainability thing becomes really critical. And we see over the past year, especially the, the importance that water savings and all has, has has turned out into the industry and i think i think we have good products and there's a good value proposition for that so we're certainly going to keep pushing on 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 those to to support the industry with the technologies we have that's awesome so to wrap things up here i'm going to ask you a few questions some fun ones uh okay. first one is what is the next country that you've never been to that's on your bucket list oh it's been top on my bucket list it's just so far away, um, but I want to visit the the French Polynesia, you know, and all that all that region. Um, but there's no pigs there, and so I really have to take vacation, and it's hard. <laughs> what about a favorite actor or actress or movie? Oh man, that's a hard one. Um, so many movies. Uh, probably, I've I've watched a movie a long time ago, and. I would have to find the name in English because I, you know, but it's a movie that tells the story about th this couple that got in trouble with, with the law and how they had to keep moving their family to, to, um, from city to city and, oh, wow. and how, that, how that bared the burden on them. So that was a, that was a good one, but I'd have to find the name in English. I, I know it in Portuguese, but that, that, that won't tell you anything. <laughs> If it's anything I've learned from some of these rapid fire questions and interviewing individuals is that uh, I feel like as a kid, if somebody asked you your favorite movie or actress or song, like, I know it. My favorite meal. I know it. And then you ask <laughs> adults, experienced, should have all of the input and, and experience to know what they like or don't like. 
and we we can't make a decision. We can't make a decision. <laughs> it's like there's too much. It's just too much now, and and there's so much right. that are good. And um, so, what is your favorite pork dish? Oh, I like pork rinds. They're so yeah. good. Yes. Uh, they, well, well, we've been in in Colombia too, and they they do the chicharron, you know, and then in Brazil, all the all the pork dishes that you put in the feijoada and just. You know, just the pork belly, really well done, and then crust on the top like that. It's <laughs> amazing. If you had to sing karaoke, what's your go-to song? Come together. Come together. Now, yeah, if you had to sing and- karaoke with Todd, what what would what would he sing? Oh, we would probably do Mockingbird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and don't don't google come together because you will find me in trade shows randomly with the bands around the world singing that so <laughs> that's awesome and last question what is a golden nugget that you can share with listeners a bit of wisdom you've picked up along the way it doesn't have to be associated to the swine industry yeah i i would say i'm i'm definitely a planner and in every aspect of my life i I decided that that's been really helpful Um, from growing professionally and as an individual to managing by choice to be a mother and never stop working. Um, And, 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 you know, yet today with a 12 year old and traveling around the world and, and planning is, has been key has been key to me and allowed me to not only do everything that I do, but not feel that I'm out of control. Yeah. You know, um, and because I'm still that kind of person that travels crazy three weeks in a row, but wants to come back home and be able to cook for my family, you know, and, and find a time to do that. And so um, I work out, I work out of home and, and, you know, I mean, my my son and husband will probably say that I don't have time for anything, but that goes. But it's it's very planned. I don't have time for anything, but it's very planned because sometimes I'm in a conference call at 5 a.m. in the morning and and I planned it in a way that then I can still, you know, make it work that dinner's on time that day, you know, somehow. And and so I like that. And I, I think um, if. You, I was in a in a congress in Brazil talking to young women in the swine industry about about leadership, and I said, "Man, you guys want to grow to be good leaders? You know, you got to plan. You gotta you gotta plan. Plan your career. Plan how you're gonna do it. Um, and then when you have a team and you're leading your team, keep planning because they're they're just gonna be so comfortable to be following someone that at least apparently has it right. And so, so yeah. That's that's really good. No, that's great advice. And thank you for being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been awesome to have you on and uh, I'm glad we could we could do this. Thank you, Matthew. This was fun and we'll see you around, especially on the winter trade shows here around the U.S. So um, we'll be we'll be not only talking to you, but seeing you all. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. 
For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.